This is Bragg, son of Balin, and you're listening to Light the Beacons, a Lotro podcast. Welcome to the world of Middle-earth. shall answer <coughs> me 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 uh ateocles ateocles uh, ediocles ediocles <coughs> sibilance uh, i'm on dean welcome back to light the beacons a lotro podcast focusing on the episodic mmorpg lord of the rings online as well as related topics in books movies gaming and the lore of j-rot this is episode 39 and i'm your host Brag of the Lonely Mountain. Hewer of Giant Zombie Arms. That's not a title. Shut up, Grima. And uh, Dwarf of Ill Repute. I'm broadcasting live from temporary LTB MEWHQ at the Giant Spire in the Barrow Downs. Um, it is a beautiful, balmy day here in the northern Barrow Downs. I hear birds chirping and butterflies winging by. Um, it's clear as crystal with green sunny grasses a barrow bah now i remember the old days when they didn't even give you a map to help navigate this place now all these extra little barrow instances and rep dungeons and the like and look at the cute little bargazi they don't even bother me they're just little puppy dogs running around i don't know why everybody has such a hassle with them although i do like it when they uh when they play with your slipper and freeze you in place see ya um, next thing you know, they'll be removing the unfortunate traveler at the entrance and uh, maybe putting up a ticket booth. It's getting so nice out here. So why am I here? Well, that shall be made plain to you very shortly, my dear viewer. In the meantime, crack an ale. That's what I'm doing. Um, thinking about brewing a new beer, I want to call it the Foundations of Stout. Sounds intriguing, eh? Uh, with further ado, let's uh, light our second beacon. There we are at Ilanok. Let's review our agenda, shall we? First, it's time for CRAP contractions. Contractions? No. Corrections. Okay, so one correction already for this episode. There's no contractions on our episode, please. Uh, corrections, retractions, and apologies from last week. So last episode we offended, and this is a long list. Uh, first of all, Lord Balcroft. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize to all the listeners who got very tired of hearing me say Balcroft. About a hundred times I think I said Balcroft. And it seemed like it was one too many times that I was saying Balcroft. Uh, also, Fernder, Angmar Apologists, Hungry Hobbits, Drunken Dwarves, Middle-Earth Lord Groupies, LPN bit writers, former NCAP Angmar raid bosses, uh, Rook, Dragok, General Talug, Lobelia Sackville Baggins, Boromir, Treebeard, Shadowfax, the Eye of Sauron, uh, Glowwine's Prostate, 
And finally, Grima. And to you all, except for, dry, for, for Grima, of course, I issue a solemn and very heartfelt sorry. Um, so we had some viewer comments last week. First of all, Jody was kind enough to write in and say, Thank you for talking about Angmar. I've been playing for five years and have yet to finish that area, but you've inspired me to go back to that dreadful place. Dreadfully wonderful. Please remember. She says, Sorry, your server is closing. Both of mine are as well. Well, perhaps we shall tangle again then down the road, Jody. Thank you for writing in. Do give Angmar a chance. It is beautiful in its own miserable way. Uh, secondly, LSU man, or is it LSU man? Not sure. If he's from New Orleans, that would decide it. Bragg, it's been a while since I commented, but I still listen and look forward to each episode. If you happen to choose Gladden as your new server, I'd love to hunt a few orcs with you. Also, I have a question. What is the helmet you are wearing in the screenshots of you with the severed arm? I really like the cosmetic. So it's been a while since I've had that cosmetic. I had to look it up, but I'm fairly certain uh, I won it in a Watcher raid. Um, when I was fortunate to roll on a Platinum Coin of Spirit. And it is called the Helm of Durin's Guard, which is available for Moria gear for heavies. Maybe uh, just the guards, I'm not sure. But, um, you know, the Watcher is definitely, obviously, a raid at this point that's uh, kind of a walkover for end cap level characters or even just folks that are in their 70s and 80s. But, uh, but still can be a fun time and actually has great cosmetics available uh, for winning the loot for. So it's worth running from that perspective. Uh, the same as the Rift. Rift and, uh, and uh, Watcher cosmetics. I'd throw Heligrod in that bucket as well. Some of those ancient raid clusters had some, some really nice gear from a cosmetic standpoint. Um, and certainly now some additionally some cosmetic weapons and shields that you might be interested in as well. So uh, good luck finding the Helm of Durin's Guard. I do think it goes well with the costume. It is one of the nicer helms in the game that I found for Heavy. Also writing in Elhador. Um, Elador is a name I recognize from my own server, Vilya. I have seen uh, him, her running around here and there, and I think we've uh, been in a few instances together. And they say, hey, Bragg, fellow Villian here, not villain, just wanted to make a note that many of the mini and LM tomes also dropped from the Cargools in and around Karn Doom, as I was commenting on uh, in my last episode. There's one particular one in Bale Dilas who's fairly easy to take down. He's surrounded by a few of the Iron Crown, but level 100 should take the whole group down handily. Good luck and happy hunting. And uh, I do recall the Cargool you mentioned. In fact, I believe I killed him in my wanderings recently in Angmar. Uh, Bale Dilas, if you're running north from Imlad, and um, you just crest the rise there. You'd have to turn right. Uh, you start to see the first spiders in the area, and you'd have to turn right to head up to Garth Forthnir. And I believe Beldilis, with the cargill he mentions, is a sharp left turn and around a small pond, uh, hidden kind of behind a you know a little entrance off that valley there. Uh, there's a couple uh, couple uh, Gularag, Gularag trolls. And uh, some Angmarum, as he mentions, and a Cargool standing relatively unguarded in that area. And they are a good source of Minion and Lower Master Tombs. And uh, Elidor, hope we uh, cross paths at some point, either on Villian or um, whatever servers we transfer our little selves to. Uh, one other note that came in last minute, right before we were about to record... 
Uh, Bragginthorn writes, my apologies for the server loss. It is sad. Gladden wants you, Bragg. There's another vote for Gladden. The consolidation of servers should help the technical side of things and hopefully give us a lot of new people to game with. I agree. I am positive, net positive on this move. Keep lighting the beacons, Master Dwarf. So that's two folks that have voted for Gladden, which is one I wasn't really seriously considering, just and purely because I don't know much about it. I don't know anyone that adventures on Gladden, and uh, you know, I'd love to hear from some folks uh, just with a bit more detail if you have it regarding uh, what the server's like, what's his personality, what is the chat channel like, is it a rating server, is it a PMP server, is it an RP server, is it uh, a little bit of everything, is it trollish, or is it uh, mature, all those other fun things you'd like to know before making that final momentous decision. Uh, the more and more I think about it, though, as this topic has come up, I'll just comment really briefly. I've been considering more strongly uh, taking some of my characters and spreading them potentially across multiple servers, uh, two, three, or more even, um, just to have a presence across. You know, it, it, At this point, I have enough high-level tunes that if I wanted to, I could have a level 100 on each server, Um I do like having them all one server consolidated from a crafting standpoint, as well as uh, being able to switch out with whatever kin you're on and, and you know serving whatever role is needed. So I don't think I'm going to spread out to you know a top level tune on each server, but I could see transferring at least one tune to each server, which would open up additional uh, character slots for um, for some of my you know maybe. Some of the alternate worlds I've played where I have you know some lower level tunes, maybe not some higher ones, and also leave one or two open for new development. I always like to have tunes at different levels of progression so you can experience different parts of the game. When you get tired of one, you can move on to another. So, um, so it's quite a possibility that it could be on two or perhaps even three servers um, with a presence, and maybe all of them with some level of tune at some point. Uh, there's plenty of tunes to go around if you've been alting on different servers, that's for sure. So thanks for writing in, Bragg and Thorn. And uh, what next? What next? What next? That's our viewer mail. And you know you're not, well, it could be viewers, I suppose. Depends on how you look at it. Um, let's go to our community spotlight. I wanted to thank uh, quickly some of the folks on Lotro Players News who mentioned my podcast again this week. Appreciate it. Uh, when folks asked what other podcasts uh, that you recommend listening to. From a forums insider's perspective, um, there was a question asked out this week regarding crafting. And uh, Vivian, uh, Lotro's producer, chimed in to say they were working on additional recipes for Update 17. Uh, later, people asked her to, qua uh, to clarify that because uh, additional recipes did not necessarily mean an additional crafting tier. But she did go on to clarify later that it would be a new crafting tier um, with no level cap raise planned for Update 17 Minas Tirith, which I think makes uh, sense. They've got enough on their minds. I'd rather they nailed Minas Tirith and made it... Uh, uh, the place it deserves to be, given its place in the lore, and uh, you know, it, the, ostensibly the largest city on Middle Earth, uh, is going to have to be quite impressive to nail the mark. So I want them to focus on that. I'm okay with no level cap raise for update 17. I'm hoping one follows shortly thereafter. 
Um, so where's room for a crafting tier? Well, uh, as you guys know, they've been crafting out there. Level 95 is the current top tier for crafting, unless it's uh, some of the LIs you can make that are level 100. So level 100 recipes, I would assume, could be in the offing. Um, I assume that some cons you know, new consumables uh, at the latest tier would be, would be nice to see. Maybe some armor and offhand weapons or class items. And what about essences? Someone in the forums uh, brought up the point, would be nice to give essence recipes to some characters. You know, one idea was to give them to cooks who don't make allies. Uh, seems like a decent idea as far as balancing some of their utility is concerned. Can a cook make an essence? I don't know if he'd slot it on an armor piece, but eh, I guess it could make sense one way or another. Um... One thing I'd like to add is I think the game also needs more single-use recipes instead of gear drops. They're a bit more flexible. You can sell the recipes. You can craft the stuff yourself. You may or may not crit to provide the item that's needed. It gives uh, more uh, incentive to have uh, folks all at top level and gilded if you can access single-use recipes that you're winning as loot in some of the instances. Um, you know, Perhaps even for slotted essence gear. So uh, I guess the other question that goes with initial crafting tiers: Will the nodes change? You know, will we get the next Emerald Shard iteration for the news area area in Eastern Gondor? So we'll see. Um, I assume that the nodes will change, and uh, you know, in areas that we're already in, they'll just maybe transform to the new nodes. I assume they'll have to do that. Uh, the question is: Will they be relegated to Eastern Gondor, or will they be spread across all of Gondor? Uh, which is an interesting one. Uh, I think it would make sense to spread them across Gondor, given that you can reach level cap in Gondor. Um, so why not have that dividing line be uh, emergence from the Paths of the Dead? So I also did notice a, a late breaking post about server downtime coming up for next week. Uh, for some updates to the game, they don't mention what those updates pertain to. Uh, my guess would be some additional updates to the server transfer tool, either on Bull Roar or perhaps opening it up to maybe the first couple uh, worlds that uh, are to be eliminated. Um, so that's it for this beacon. This week's this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've been doing in game, of course. We're going to feature a top 10 list for episodic content ideas. We're going to discuss the oft-overlooked skirmish, Survival of the Barrow Downs, which is why I stand at the Dead Spire admiring the scenery right now. And if there's any time remaining, we will hear a song from Smeagol. <laughs> Won't that be entertaining? We are at Nardal. Nardal is a flame where we can talk about this week in gaming and or other Tolkien news. And we have some other Tolkien news this week, crazily enough. Uh, this past week, I was fortunate enough to take out my uh, lovely bearded dwarf lass to go see Mr. Holmes, which uh, premiered in theaters this past week. A small independent film featuring our very own Ian McKellen, Gandalf of Lotro fame. And, uh, you know, I think Ian McKellen, I think, obviously has uh, risen significantly in profile behind the pop culture successes of his characters Gandalf and Magneto from the Lord of the Rings, Hobbit, and X-Men series. 
So he certainly um, benefited from the, the additional increased fame, or at least different demographic fame, that's been brought uh, by these iconic roles. But I did want to comment that uh, it's also um, the works uh, themselves that have benefited from bringing in actors of his stature. So I don't think the X-Men series could have made a better decision than to bring in um, you know, serious actors like Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, who have pedigree, who have credibility, who have Shakespearean background uh, as far as their talents are concerned, and lent instant gravitas to roles that could have easily have been, uh, you know, throwaway to the series. And I think really they've been the anchors. Um, you know, they've done smart casting all around with a lot of the X-Men players, but really these two have been the anchors of the series from the beginning. Uh, and brought instant credibility to the material um, that could have been overlooked otherwise. So, Ian McKellen uh, is a fine actor in his own right that has done you know, stage and screen uh, for many, many years. If you haven't seen him in anything, basically anything he's ever been in has been of quality um, to some degree. So, uh, this is if you haven't seen him outside of his roles as Gandalf and uh, Magneto, uh, I certainly do recommend this film first thought when he came on screen was boy he is not aged well and it took me you know about half a scene before i realized that uh he had uh, endured makeup heavy prosthetic makeup to have assumed the character of um sherlock holmes at the age of i believe he's supposed to be 92 ish or 93 in the film so it's not very often you see a 73 year old man being made up to look older <laughs> even older than he was but um you can certainly see that he brought, uh, you know, a masterful job from the, the physicality standpoint of the older character, you know, from the nuances of his movements and how he uh, how he slouched the scoliosis that would have impacted him at that age, um, you know, the pain in his knees you can see as he moves around, and uh, even the slack-jawed expressions that he has from time to time as you can see his his mind wandering and losing his trains of thought and so forth. It's it's really a masterful job that he did. Um, and acting, you know, those things, and it can't be easy for an actor to to absorb some of those, um, you know. So, uh, so I'm sure this was a very, you know, candid and morbid look at mortality for Ian. Seeing, you know, playing a character 20 years is uh, is better at that point, and um, you know, simulating things that he knows he might experience in life if he's fortunate enough to uh, to live to that ripe old age, as we hope he will. Um, so the film deals with Holmes setting to rights the details of his final case, which requires some painful self-discovery of memories, memories that were left buried um, either purposefully or through the onset of Alzheimer's. Uh, so it, he finally has reached the point in his life where he has the perspective and the will to remember the details of the case and why they impacted him and why it was an inflection point for him and to try to bring some closure to those events and to some extent to his own life. Um, it's interesting to me because it shows how, uh, you know, it tries to portray at least how emotionally empty the life of Sherlock Holmes has been. You know, he's had all these pursuits that have kept him uh, you know, busy and engaged and intrigued over the years. Uh, his uh, chemical experimentation, his, his musical pursuits, 
um, his drug use briefly before he was able to uh, surpass that. And uh, certainly the boredom and ennui that was reflected by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in between the cases that were really his lifeline and kept him engaged. But you know, his, uh, the number of relationships he had in his life that were of serious level of death can only be, depth can only be counted, uh, probably on less than one hand. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting that late in his life, it starts to, you start to see that emotional emptiness that he realizes, uh, his life was, but he is given a shot at redemption in this movie as he embraces a relationship with a precocious son, of his housekeeper played by Lauren Linney uh, and the son is played by uh, fantastically I thought by Milo Parker who really held his own against uh, you know an actor of McKellen's carp um, caliber so some critics hailed the movie uh, some complained of its pacing which is fairly deliberate but if you're looking for a tried and two Sherlock Holmes formula case you will be disappointed but if you're in the mood for a deliberate deliberate a somewhat deliberate and meaningful treatment um, that intelligently puts a beloved and iconic character in a new light, this could be your cup of tea. It is a great performance. Um, I think it's likely to be overlooked by Oscar, given the nature of the film. But uh, if it was, that would be a shame, because uh, I'm sure it'll be up there with uh, the other works. <laughs> Anything I've seen in 2015, of course, we're just approaching the point of the season where some of the more serious contenders might be coming out. So anyway, that was a quick movie review of Mr. Holmes. Let me know if you see it and what you think. What have I been doing with other games? Uh, Ori and the Blind Forest is uh, the other game I've been dabbling in still. So uh, over the past two weeks, I penetrated the Ginso tree and had my first escape sequence. And those of you who have played the game will know what I'm talking about. But uh, from what I read, um, periodically, I think maybe two or three times throughout the game, you trigger a sequence of events which uh, results in you having to uh, escape an area through a kind of a rapid fire sequence Um you know, and basically, in this particular instance, a tree is filling with water. It's splashing and and filling in all around you, and you have to stay just ahead of it while beating off enemies and kind of leaping to the top to avoid this e eruption of liquid. And uh, it's quite a, a frustrating sequence in some ways. Um, I think it's designed for you to fail multiple times. Um, until you understand the pattern of what you should be trying to accomplish. And even then, it's challenging enough that you're going to fail a few more times. So basically, you have to memorize exactly all the right moves. You have to do them in the right sequence and with the right pacing. And, you know, a couple of them are difficult enough that, you know, getting three or four of the right leaps, jumps, or grabs in sequence can be very difficult. Uh, I'd have to estimate, <laughs> I'm, I'm just going to be honest here, I don't know if other people had more luck than I did, I probably ran this escape sequence maybe a hundred times before I nailed it. Uh, conservatively speaking, it seemed like forever, I'm not sure I lost count. What happens is as soon as you fail, it restarts immediately, so it's kind of like it builds in tension as you execute it again and again and again, and every time you fail, you're like, oh, and then you're like, oh, gotta run, here it comes again. Um, so it goes pretty quickly by. Uh, there was a time when I thought of quitting and, and putting it down and restarting, and I ended up doing that, and uh, I was much more successful. You know, after, after I'd failed it maybe 50 times, I was like, okay, let's take a break. And uh, shortly after coming back, I did nail it. Um, so, you know, you can be you can, uh, you know, berate my, um, platforming skills, but, uh, it, the, the fun thing about it is that it is rapid fire, that it, like, re-engages you again immediately if you do fail, 
And uh, the sequence itself was well enough done as far as the kind of the artistic graphics of what's going on around you that it, it is exciting to do again and again until you until you get it right. Um, I think the only part that's a little bothersome to me, I think I would have probably gotten by it if it weren't for some maybe some slight control issues with the PV, PC version of the game, which isn't quite as flexible. Um, the, the mouse movements have to be very fine-tuned to get the directions right for some of these things. The other complaint about have about the game is that um, there's a mechanic you learn called bash, which allows you to do these giant leaps. And I learned that quickly enough, but um, I don't remember, you know, maybe I dropped the game and I forgot. But there's another aspect to the bash mechanic, which allows you to redirect an enemy's fire um, at you in another direction, which you can use to open obstacles that I wasn't aware of at all. <laughs> I couldn't get by a certain area, couldn't figure out how to smash through a certain door. And I finally had to go online and look at a video, and I saw that you could uh, basically redirect the shots of your enemies towards the obstacles in order to remove them. And I don't remember that being communicated in the initial kind of training sequence where you learn the skill. So maybe I missed it. Could have been me, but I, I don't remember them describing it. So that was a little frustrating. So I'm now in the area called the Hollow Woods, and it's still a pretty game. It's still got nice music, and I'm enjoying it. Um, it is a little frustrating at times. Uh, the game summary is telling me I'm just over 50% complete, so hopefully in the next few weeks I'll knock that out. Um, I am getting to the point where you can sink points in a trait tree where you can get a better save mechanic that costs less so you can do it more often to avoid repetition. You just have to be careful to get not get stuck in an area where you have to try to escape like a jillion times because it's really hard. <laughs> so don't save in the wrong spot is the lesson that comes to mind. Uh, enough about Ori and the Blind Forest. This is not uh, Light the Blind Forest podcast. It's Lotro. So let's get on to what I've been doing in Lotro the last few weeks. Let's start with Bragg, where I've been doing some Bingo Bothan episodic content. So after running the first episode when it came out, uh, let several weeks pass by, and I was able to catch up on them all in one play session. And it looks like this is going to be a, a playful character development of Bingo, uh, attributing to him all the little clever little adorable foibles that most hobbits have and uh, I won't throw any spoilers out there but there are some humorous moments as he uh, gears up to set off on his adventure so I am hoping that um, after establishing him as kind of a you know a, a typical hobbit that there is a chance to um, bring a more serious side to him that he shows some of Bilbo's medal on his jersey on his journey as he progresses. But I'm enjoying the episodic content so far, and even had um, a little hobbit around the house looking over my shoulder and was enjoying it as well. So it uh, a testament to the entertainment value there. Um, I haven't gotten around to seeing Lily Rose's uh, uh, recordings of the episodic content with, uh, with her little hobbit, and I've heard those are fun, so I intend to go out those and check those out at some point. So while Bragg was in the uh, the Shire running around, I happened to be uh, nearby um, Lobelia Sackville Baggins, who uh, stands at the door of Bag End, obviously, and she's got a ring overhead. And as I mentioned before, sometimes when I'm in these older areas and I see a ring that I know, I'm like, you know what? I'm just gonna I don't I don't care if there's no reward. I'm gonna clear this quest out just to make sure I've seen it, which I usually have, but and to uh, get it off the screen because I want to. I'm a completionist and I want it done. And so this is, happens to be Lobelia's um, quest to go find fireworks for her for an upcoming party. You guys may remember this one. So uh, now I know why I never finished this quest. She sends you to Tuck, 
Um, and the fireworks maker sends you to Brock and Borings, and then back to Tuck, and then over to Stoke, I think, and then back to Tuck, and then to the Brigands, Brigands camp on the south side of the Shire, where there's an entertaining sequence at the end, finally, where you find the fireworks that have been purloined and you set them off and all the all the um, brigands go running, you know, in all different directions with their heads on fire. So that was kind of funny. But Lobelia never gets her fireworks. That's too bad. And um, all I can say to her now is, you're welcome. Uh, but this is a typical quest, which was kind of cute, kind of got you all over the, the Shire, but I'm not surprised I didn't finish it on some of my tunes. Uh, because it is a lot of running around. <laughs> Typical of the Shire, of course. My Bjorning, level 72, last we talked. He's been languishing. Uh, but I've been reading the story of Rathborn, the story of the House of Bjorn that's uh, on LPN, which is very well done. It's been getting me excited to go back and play my Bjorning again. So uh, my Bjorning is now level 78, actually. And uh, since I've been adventuring in Rohan, I haven't for a while gone back to Hank Stacer's farm. Um, and I did and was looking for one particular quest called Feed for the Horses, which finally showed up so I could finish off my uh, Discovering the Descending quest line to gain the favor of the Miraz, finally. So I think I started those quests around level 40 or so and had one that was outstanding. And for a while, I was looking for it every day. And then I finally just gave up on it for a while. But I did go back. I got my feed for the horses and I went to visit Gandalf and Shadowfax in the plains of Rohan. And I have the favor of the mirror skill on my Bjorning, which is, uh, which is always nice to have that extra little heal when it comes in handy sometimes. So uh, my Bjorning completed the uh, exploring the mysteries of the murders in Cliving and is preparing for Hitbolt. Um, so uh, received the detective title from finishing that plot, plot line, and it is one that you have to finish in order to see the final story of Hitbolt. My plan is for my Bjorning to run Hitbolt dailies and finish building that town. The only other time I've ever done that outside of my main character, Bragg. Uh, so my Bjorning has gone on to Faldom and is preparing to enter the Antwash Vale, progressing there. Reminds me, I should run Roots of Fangorn while I'm still close to level. Um, that's a good one-off dungeon, level 75, and uh, I do remember enjoying it when it came out. It's got a good boss battle that I uh, hope to talk about on a future episode because I like the mechanics. Um, so... I did pour some tree, some points into my mounted combat tree for my Bjorning, and one of the ones you can pump up is uh, to increase your damage over unmounted foes. And with three points in that tree, increased my damage to 50% uh, over unmounted foes, which is a nice little boost. Um, still no AOE skills for the Bjorning, at least at this point in my tree, so that's no good against more than one mob, unfortunately. And the other thing I need to do is, I uh, was looking through... Uh, made my Bjorning a woodworker a long time ago. I've been working up her woodworking so I could get some good crafted relics for her allies at some point. And uh, I think I need to do a guild quest to open up access to highest tier recipes because right now my crafted guild relics top out after I think supreme level or maybe one after that, whatever that one is. So I think I might need to do a guild quest to open up access to the higher tier recipe. So I'll visit the Woodworkers Guild shortly and see if they've got a little ring waiting for me to figure out why I don't have access to those recipes yet. Um, I went to the vendor and they were not available, as I can remember, but maybe I've reached them now. Uh, so I've been spending most of my time on my minstrel lately. 
uh, and I did a, an inspection of what I consider to be one of the top flight minis on my server that I see around fairly frequently. And they've got uh, all yellow jewelry and uh, all yellow supreme essences and, uh, you know, all set piece armor filled out with uh, top level supreme essences. And that mini came in at about 26k morale unbuffed. Seemed like they had all five essence gear, so they've been running the Asgiliath uh, instances, obviously, from Morgul Crests. And uh, a good portion of those essences are filled with supreme morale potions. So they look pretty beastly. <laughs> 26k is a pretty decent amount of morale for a, for a mini. That's a, just a little under. I know my guard's a little light, but that's a, just a little under what my guard sports typically. So, um, you know... A 26k mini in uh, war speech mode would be a bit of a terror in the in the uh, in the moors, I would imagine, and also in any instances. Now that doesn't mean that they're not, you know, maybe a little single pointed and maybe not be as well rounded with some of their other skills if they plug that many morale essences in. I'd probably prefer to be a little more well rounded than I saw what they had. Um, you know, it might hurt. You know, if they're if they could have pumped some of that into tactical mastery to build up their healing. You know, I'm sure their healing is probably still better than mine, given the given the size of their gear. But uh, but you know, I I, th I would think I would maybe try to be a little more well rounded with my apportionment of essences. But clearly, I've still got some work to do. <laughs> um, so I've been doing additional daily DA daily runs and starting to chip away at rep for some of the other DA areas. Um, I completed the armory. The armory tokens are the ones you can barter, I believe, for an essence group that includes morale. And uh, but my first try, I got essence of fate, of course. So, uh, but I think it's there's only one uh, kind of token you can turn in for um, an essence box that might con contain a morale potion. So, so I'll probably pound those until I get at least a few morale essences because right now I have none. I also completed the docks in the Swan Knights area, and I think the warehouse is the only one I have left to complete all the deeds at this point for Dal Amroth dailies. Um, I'd run the Feast of Drakes previously, but with a hiccup. What I figured out is um, I went in there, and the rest of the quests you're supposed to get on the island are auto-bestowed when you get on the island. Uh, but I had too many quests that were, ex were already accepted for other DA dailies, and so the other quests didn't spawn for me on the island. So we finished off killing the Drakes and one or two of the others, uh, but I didn't get all the quests on the island because they didn't all auto-bestow because I'd already had my limit of six for the day. So if you're going into Feast of Drakes and getting the auto-bestowed quests, make sure you don't have any other DA daily quests that you've either completed that day or that are in your log uh, open. So I went back into the island to try to see if I could solo some of the other side quests. Um, I did solo some of the groups there, um, but uh, it was you know kind of slow going. There were a few too many, and I went back to a camp, and some of them had respawned. So it seemed like that was going to be slow going, and it might just be easier to grab a group. Like even the Avank quest, um, they come at you from all sides, and there's a good number of them. I actually survived uh, doing that solo, but I could not beat the time limit. So I think I killed off. All the ones that came at me, but um, there were some some on the other side, and I didn't have a chance to get over there and complete them before the time limit. So I think it might be possible for a champ or another superior AOE class, but I had to be really careful backing up out of the groups I was in not to get slaughtered. So I think I'll have to head back there with a small fellowship, finish that one off soon, maybe even after this podcast. Um 
I'm trying to remember if there's some kind of significant reward for completing all the DA daily deeds. Like maybe one final quest at the end, talking to the Queen of Dal Amroth. I kind of remember complaining about the first time that maybe there wasn't anything there, which I think is unfortunate. So if that's the case, then there will be no additional rewards, but I'll be able to buy the gear that I want for my mini, which will be nice. Mini also healed a turtle run uh, with six tunes, most of them not level cap actually, some's in the 60s, 70s, and even 80s. And uh, I didn't notice the turtle had almost almost a million morale, 960k. And I remember when it first came out, I think it was more like 580 or 640 tops. So it seems like they've toughened it up a little bit, which is probably appropriate. It was actually a little bit challenging keeping up healing some of the lower level tunes during the course of that run because it was uh, a little slower. It's more like it was designed to be at least closer. Um, my mini's been smoothly handling any library or daily daily quest runs with a modicum of care, but uh, working fairly quickly through those areas now with a fair degree of confidence. And uh, I don't think I've died on one in uh, in a couple weeks. Um, I also ran some tier three skirmish tier, tier three skirmishes for crystals. So I came across a group that was claiming to average about three starlit crystals and starlit crystals per run of uh, tier three Merkwood skirms. So we ran a couple of those, and we actually did get two to three drops per run um, on those skirms. But the surprise part for me is they're not dropping into the end chest; they're dropping off lieutenants. So apparently the lieutenants in the tier three skirms have, um, you know, probably I'd guess given the number of them, maybe like a one in ten chance or a one in eight chance of dropping a uh, Amphalas Starlight Crystal, which is a good reason to run them. So um, we also gave a shot with the same group when we were done with the Merkwood skirms to run Survival of the Barrow Downs in raid mode, and I'll talk more on that a little bit later. Uh, my Cappy ran the Sunken Labyrinth at level 100 for some kind of crappy rewards and uh, was with 100 and a champ, so I was basically tanking that run. Uh, but it's fairly easy on Tier 1 and basically was doing it to get the deed done. I uh, called out for a party for Ruined City and a bunch of people replied back and said, said um, uh, you don't need to run it at level 100 to finish the deed, just do it at level 50 like everybody else. <laughs> So I was like, well, I kind of wanted to run it on level 100 for the challenge, but people are like, well, tier 2 is too hard, and tier 1 has no rewards, so just run it on level 50. And a bunch of people tell me that, so that's a little bit of a deflating attitude about it, but I didn't find anyone that wanted to run it right away, so I did run it on level 50, and I got through it to get my class trait point from Eastern Gondor. Um, so, so I'll probably do that with my other tunes, too, if I can't find anybody readily available. Um... I think it's kind of a fail from Turbine that you can finish the deed on level 50. That uh, might be an oversight from them they might want to fix at some point. That might be more motivation to have people run it at least on tier 1. Uh, my Cappy, I noticed, could use some gear upgrades. So he might be heading back to um, to Dol Amroth himself. Uh, my lore master, getting ready to do some action soon. He's actually pretty well geared, actually, with Dol Amroth stuff. But I got him out of Pilar gear and um, all the way through Tomb Laden and uh, just completed the Maidens at the Crossroads quest line. There's some decent rewards in that one. to get uh, two Greater Essences, an Imbued Legacy Replacement Scroll, and a decent cosmetic robe. So that one's worth doing, obviously. And uh, headed over to Arnok and anchored there for the kind of the middle portion of the run through Eastern Gondor. No imbuement yet on my Loremaster. Um, soon I'm thinking I'll do at least my staff 
Uh, my book I have to upgrade, I think, is a first age level 95, which is kind of fine right now, but I'm sure I'll get around to upgrading at some point. Uh, but I'd like to get some more Amphalos crystals into my Lore Master staff before I view that one. And um, do some more LI decons to build up some XP runes so that I'm ready to max it out when I do imbue it. Uh, my Berg has just been doing daily Del Amroth tasks, filtering all my task objects to him on a regular basis. And uh, with rep accelerators, kind of moving through rep there to get the port, whatever else I might want from a gear perspective. And uh, everyone else is just getting hand-me-downs at this point. So that is plenty about what I've been doing in-game. Let's move on to another beacon. And the next one on the horizon is... Erelas. Okay, so in Erelas this week, as we've been playing around with episodic content of Bingo Bothan, I uh, decided to brainstorm some other ideas for additional episodic content that uh, that uh, Termine could insert into the game. I think this has been successful. I think it's a good experiment. Uh, I hope we're with Bingo for quite a while, but I also hope that they branch off into other potential stories over time. So here are top 10 ideas for additional episodic content in the game of Lotro. Number 10, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Bothan across the 8th dimension. And yes, some of you may be too young to recognize that reference. Number 9, the adventures of Elrond across the Forbidden Library. Each week features a new series of numbers in the Dewey Decimal System in this stationary classic. Number N, uh, or 8, Tom Bombadil and Goldberry meet Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry, pulling down the mighty Mississippi. Tom and Tom, Barry and Barry, coincidence? I think not. Remember, today's Tom Bombadil, he gets high on you. With the space he invades, he gets by on you. Number seven, the adventures of MMO reporter Chris leveling in Lotro. Note, new episodes only to be scheduled when Chris actually achieves new levels. Number six, your two favorite epic questline pro protagonists star in I Love Nona. Nona, you went to talk to that crazy fortune teller again, didn't you, Nona? You got some splaining to do? Wah, horn. No, this show, is, this show is scheduled to be canceled after this episode's final season at the Pelennor Fields. Number five, return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the west, with the speed of light and a hearty hi-ho you hear in, came Aragorn, the Lone Ranger, with his trusty sidekick, Tonto Took. Number four, Rosie Cotton stars in Mickle Delving Bachelorette. See who she gives her pies to each week to stick around for more Tookishness. Number three, Gandalf, like you've never seen him before, in Fifty Shades of the Grey Pilgrim. Some content not appropriate for players under level 13. Number two, Lobelia Sackville Baggins starts a meth lab in Frodo's deserted hobbit hole in the new weekly thriller, Breaking Bag. End. And number one, the Fresh Prince of Dull Amroth. In Western Gondor, born and raised in the Swan Knights Hall, I spent most of my days chilling out, relaxing, and relaxing all cool and shooting some hardrum outside of the school. When a couple guys from Umbar who were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood, I got in one little fight and my mom wouldn't hear it. She said, You're moving with your auntie and your uncle in Minas Tirith. Do, 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 do. So I pulled up to the fortress about seven or eight, and I yelled to the steward, Yo, home, smell you later, and returned to my kingdom where I had it made in the shade to sit in my throne as the Prince of D.A. Wah, 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 wah. Wah, 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 wah. 
Yeah, so let's quickly move on from that beacon. And now the original word from our sponsor segment. This broadcast is brought to you by the must-have toy this Christmas season for the Lotro faithful. You all know Elrond, the straight-faced, library-based, sends-you-with-haste activities director of Imladris. Well, this holiday season, get ready to see an all-new side of the Aegis provocateur with the new Tickle Me Elrond. Squeeze him around the middle and listen to his delightful squeal. <laughs> that tickles! Pick up, Elrond! Toss, Elrond! <laughs> Go to Delossid! Toss, Elrond! Go back to Delossid! Pick up, Elrond! Go to Garth Forthnir! Tickle, Elrond! Go back to Garth Forthnir again! Toss, Elrond! <laughs> uh, you get the idea. You may quickly run out of patience with this toy, but uh, it'll be amusing at least for a little while. Avoid the stampede and pick up your Tickle Me Elrond today while supplies last. That brings us to Callanhad. Callanhad this week, we're going to talk a little bit about enough of this foolishness. Um, and seldom used skirmish in the game called the Survival of the Barrow Downs. Now, I'm sure many of you have uh, have, have tried this, although I, I still run to characters all the time that have never given it a shot. Um, it was used previously as a PAX contest at one point to see if uh, pugs that came up to the booths at the con could last more than uh, more than 10 minutes in a small fellowship setting. And uh, it was a contest of sorts, which I thought was kind of a neat idea. So I did run the skirmish this week in uh, Raid, which I had not done in a long time, and that prompted uh, you know my examination of it. It's a bit of a unique animal. It's not uh, defensive or offensive. It is a singular skirmish in the game that uh, I think fills a niche and serves a definitive purpose. So why don't people like to run it? Well, we could uh, you know wax philosophically for a while about the psychology of failure. Uh, basically, you know you're going to die. <laughs> you know you're going to die. There's no sense of uh, you know accomplishment as you as you uh, you know raid the chest at the end and turn the flag over and have the PC guy run down and say good job you've saved the day. You are going to die in survival of the Barrow Downs, and the question is how long it takes to get there. And I think some people don't like facing that if they have alternatives and they can do other things. Uh, but I will say survival of the Barrow Downs can be challenging and it can be a lot of fun and it'll push you to the brink, obviously, um, the brink of death. Uh, so the skimmers becomes available at about level 45, I believe, and scales all the way to level 100, obviously. Um, normally I would say damage types on weapons wouldn't make much difference in almost any content you run, but... There are so many whites and undead in this skirmish that if you have Western S uh, damage type available to you on your weapon, I think it could actually help you, you know, fairly significantly over the course of the fight. Um, another interesting fact about the survival of the Barrow Downs is that you can see almost any lieutenant in the game on raid mode. So um, I believe I believe it's almost any one of them. Most of the other skirmishes have a kind of a cross section of. Uh, lieutenant you'll see and the variety uh, changes as you go from small uh, single duo small fellowship uh, fellowship and raid but um, if you run in, in defense of the barrow downs you could see almost any uh, lieutenant in the game based on random selection um, 
so it's a good way to work on Slayer Deeds for some of those lieutenants, skirmish lieutenants, finally. And uh, I feel like we saw most of them in the run that we did. Um, we got uh, the Ruler of the Dead Deed completed, which means you can you killed at least 20 during the course of the skirmish, and I think it was more than that. So just looking briefly, one of the interesting things about the skirmish is that it has, uh, I think, more more deeds available to it than any other skirmish that's out there. So um, there are deeds for completing a certain number of uh, lieutenants in the skirmish, uh, you know, at every level. So each of these is repeated. We, we had this on raid, but there's a, an additional set for uh, fellowship, small fellowship, and solo duo. Um, there's uh, there's uh, deeds for surviving in the Barrow Downs for, you know, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, and 30 minutes um, for being un, you know, for not having anyone perish in that time frame during that, uh, during that time frame as well at 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Um, there's uh, a deed to defeat lieutenants, number of lieutenants, you know, foes of the Dark Lord, it's called. Um, so how many lieutenants can you go through in one session or, or total cumulative over the course of running it many times? Um, how many general denizens of the Barrow Down? So non-lieutenants can you finish off, um, you know, at each level, etc. So, and each of these comes with a little mark bonus. And some of them are not that big, but, you know, I think over the course of the raid, I add them all up. And just from the deeds themselves, I got 600 marks, not even counting... Um, not even counting kind of the individual mark, uh, you know, uh, acquisition that you got from lasting a certain amount of time within. So there's a pretty good amount of rewards uh, that can come from. I think it might be one of the most mark-heavy um, skirmishes in the game if you don't mind running it, and if you have a coordinated group that can do well. Obviously, if you're dying after the five or ten minute mark, it's not going to be quite as lucrative. So there are two main strategies that you can use in the survival of the Barrow Down skirmish. The first is the the warden kiting strategy, and I, I kind of lucked into this the first time I was on my guard and got invited in. Um, there was a basically a fellowship group that was running, and they didn't even have all six players. I think they had basically four. Um, there was a healer that stood centrally at the spire, a warden that ran circles around it. And uh, basically, you know, the healer healed the warden. The warden kept spamming, I guess it's conviction that's the aggro uh, skill that they have. And uh, I believe we had a hunter that could pick off um, maybe uh, mobs and peel them away if they had like uh, speed debuffs or something that can impact the warden. And then, uh, you know, if, if the healer got in trouble because we attracted attention, they brought along a guard just on the off chance that they might need a shield wall. Uh, to put on the healer, and the warden ran around the spire for a good long time, and he had a, you know, it looked like he was doing a, you know, running a triathlon with a whole pile of guys chasing him around. Um, you know, eventually some debuff or trip came, or some some something stunned him, and you know, he got instantly overwhelmed by the 50 mobs that were trailing behind him. But we did rack up a good number of uh, of the deeds uh, that were associated with it by running it that way. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that technique. It seems like it's not an exploit. It's a valid technique for surviving in the Barrow Downs. Um, so that's that's one way to run it. A way, a way that I would say is easy, but not quite as fun. And the second strategy is the one I call the stand and deliver strategy, which means basically you get your group in a tight-knit ball, and you beat the snot out of anything that appears and see how long you can go. 
So that's the technique that we took with um, with my raid group. Um, I acquired a goodly amount of marks as a never run it in a 12-man raid before. If you have a mark accelerator that you can put on before you run it, all the better. It's uh, it gets a little hectic, and I had a sore wrist sore wrist when I was done from clicking, uh, but it was fun. You know, you can reach equilibrium at various stages of the fight. Um, it becomes somewhat of an exercise in vo avoiding bad lieutenant combos. Uh, bad lieutenant combos are what will wipe you out eventually and get you overwhelmed. Um, and the other piece is how effectively the team is at watching out for um, the barrel flames that appear. Uh, barrel flame is, I guess, uh, you know, distant cousin of the limb frame. So the limb frames will give you a plus 20% miss chance, which will hinder you burning down some of the lieutenants quickly. So they, they are good to get rid of. But the one you have to watch out for is the Barrow Flame, which has a 50% reflective damage attack. Um, so you can't AoE a bunch of those. You'll lose folks. We had a champion in our raid that I think I rezzed at least five times over the course of the raid. It's nice that the, the rally cooldown is down to the point where you can reuse it periodically, but I think I rezzed him about, about five times over the course of the run. Um, mostly because I'm sure he got uh, he got the full brunt of hitting AoEs on the Barrow Flames. Um, you know, aside from that, if you're running it in a raid, it's basically like a PMN, PVMP match. It's all about um, you know having a target assist and folk, everyone focusing fire on the same target and having a good target lead that picks targets. Um, you know, if certain lieutenants come out, you got to get rid of them right away before you get overwhelmed. You know, eventually the number of lieutenants will spawn a bad combo. I think when we got knocked out, we had uh, Brothers of Destruction, a Blood Rook, and a Primordial Wraith, uh, a Frigid Squall, and maybe something else all at once, and that, that was about all she wrote. <laughs> Uh, but I was healing that uh, I was healing that raid, and I healed my little butt off. And um, we did get two or three crystals out of the run that we had as well. Um, but uh, the most surprising part for me was that uh, there is a time limit on survival of the Barrow Downs. If you can make it past the 60-minute mark, it'll finish, and you don't have to die. Um, and my group made it 50 minutes. Uh, which I was pretty impressed at. I, I figured us for closer to somewhere between 20 and 30. I had no idea. I'd never run it in a raid before, but I don't know if we had a solid group. We had a good leader picking out targets, and I uh, was healing my little hobbit fanny off, and um, it was very lucrative. So do recommend it if you see a raid group calling for survival of the Barrow Downs. Uh, it makes me think that with the right lieutenant combo luck 60 minutes might be possible and that would be quite an accomplishment to come out the other end um why should you run it skirm marks change of pace certainly a change of pace that's the best reason i could think of so give it a try if you haven't before for solo and dual runs certain group um classes might fare better than others obviously but uh but in a fellowship or a raid everyone can enjoy and that is Callan had for this week. So let's move quickly on. It's time for Blessed Relief. Brings us to the end of the 39th episode of Light the Beacons. A particularly silly one at that. Once we're in the 40s, we're going to have to really shape up and get serious about this stuff. No more of this foolishness. So I would love to hear your plaudits, feedback, rants, diatribes, and most of all, your constructive critique on my idiocy. You can contact me at bragsonofbound at gmail.com. That's brag with two A's. The second A stands for Arbor Gold.
on Facebook or Twitter at Bragg Son of Ballon. My website at lightthebeacons.com where you can post comments directly on the podcast and four comments on last week. I was so excited. I kindly request that you take the time to create an iTunes review. If perchance you were so inclined, I would very much appreciate it. And if your comments incite me to forego my legendary dwarven apathy, I will try to include them in the next podcast or at least respond in some way. So I hope you either laughed at or with me. I hope you might have learned at least a little something you didn't know before or perhaps looked at the game with a slightly different perspective. And most of all, I hope you enjoy your week in Middle-earth in the little time that many of the servers have left. This is Bragg, son of Balin, signing off. Baruch Kazad. And remember, the next time you start a raid level, survival bower downs with your kin, and the other 11 players suddenly drop group, leaving you to party, alone with Brothers of Destruction and a Rage of Morgoth. Don't despair. Light the beacons. See you, folks. Have a great week. Oh, I promised uh, Smeagol would sing. Gollum, do you, you don't want to sing, do you? Well, then perhaps I could just do a little song. Uh, this is a bad idea. Sunshine on my shoulders. Stop, stop, stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. If any of you want to hear Gollum sing, let me know. But uh, I'm guessing you don't.